0: What if a pandemic threatens this country or even the world? Does someone get to decide who lives and who dies in order to stop the spread of the infectious disease? And are there problems with eugenics, selective breeding to improve human hereditary traits? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian Worldview for Christ and Culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's one small step for man, one
0: giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live
1: in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail.
0: Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Man, am I
2: pleased to be with you today. Listen, I I don't watch the Kentucky Kentucky Derby. I I never make it a a point to watch horse racing or anything associated with it because, you know, just frankly, it's uh, associated with something that appeals to the baser interests of human nature, and I just can't justify participating in that. I mean, gambling itself just really bothers me. Now, this is not about gambling. That's, that's not our topic right now. If that were our topic, we'd have to talk about the lottery and why I wouldn't play that and why I think it's wrong if people do and all that kind of stuff. And then some of you do play it, we feel nervous and, you know, you might want to change and you don't want to do that because the topic we do have today is just too important for you to ignore. So we're not going to talk about the fact that it's really odd that we would consider something immoral to begin with, but then make it moral only so that the government can do it and keep other people from being able to do it like the lottery would be but again we're not talking about that today so let me get back on topic the issue is not gambling and so i just want us to take sort of paramutual gambling and the whole betting scene out of the context of the horse racing for a moment and just talk about the horse racing itself because of what happened at the kentucky derby here i i want you just to listen to the end of the race
3: as
1: they turn for home and big brown makes a big move and he takes the lead Big Brown is opened up now by three. The game Philly, eight bells trying to run him down the final furlong.
0: It's Big Brown. He's gone clear. Big Brown and kept the solo by four legs. The game Philly second on the inside eight bells. But Big Brown, Big Brown is a superstar with the Kentucky Derby. Big Brown wins by five. Eight bells ran second.
2: Now, uh, that's important that 8 Bells ran second. We're going to talk about that in a second. I can understand listening to that and even seeing a horse race every once in a while. While people would be interested in it just as a sport if it could be separated from all that corruption and gambling. But here's this exciting ending to the race. And really no one at that point had noticed uh, that there was a problem with 8 Bells, the horse that had come in second until the NBC announcers uh, started to observe that something was going
0: on. And we're told now that 8 Bells, the filly, has been injured. trying to get some
4: information right now. There she is. Going on the track ambulance. uh, Equine ambulance
2: was just headed over there. I think that's probably what Big Brown had spooked from. Uh, That's just about 20 yards away from where that accident had happened. Now that's uh, that's a description of uh, them first noticing that something had gone wrong with 8 Bells, that indeed she had broken her uh, two front ankles and had collapsed and the jockey had fallen off of her and all of that. And uh, and of course uh, we all know by now that she was put down there on the track, uh, euthanized almost immediately, Uh, and it's just one of those injuries that a horse wouldn't recover from, and so, uh, of course, this has drawn a lot of attention from people about whether the horse should have been kept alive or killed or any of that, but, you know, what happened to me was when I heard that on the news, because I I just happened to be walking by a TV or something, and I heard, never did see uh, what had happened, but I heard uh, them talking about having to put down the horse that had come in second uh, because it had broken uh, both of its ankles, and I just thought. oh, man, I, you know, I winced in reaction to it. it. It was an emotional reaction that I had to it. And uh, even that bothers me a little because I realize that you know we kill animals and eat them all the time. And I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. I, I've i slaughtered a lot of chickens in my life, and I've killed a lot more just by paying for them at the grocery store. But I mean, literally, I've gone out to a farm and slaughtered a lot of chickens. And I, I don't have a problem with skinning a deer and gutting it, cleaning it, doing all the stuff that's necessary so you can get the meat off of it. I, I don't have any problem with that at all. And I'm comfortable with that, and I realize what a routine project that can become if your job is to provide food for the rest of the community. So I'm good with all of that, but I winced when I heard about this horse suffering, and uh, it raised a question in my mind. Not one without an answer, but one that provokes a really significant moral issue in our culture and in us personally as human beings, and that has to do with how we're supposed to react to animals. Now, don't don't, don't think that this show is about animals. It is not. It absolutely is not. I just need to use this topic to introduce what I do want to talk about with you, and it has something uh, much more important at its roots than just talking about animals. So here's the question that I have for you. Are we supposed to regard animals in the same way we regard people. Are we supposed to be compassionate for them and protect them and give them rights and recognize their significance and all of that? Or are we supposed to have some kind of a callous disregard for them? Well, you know, obviously it's possible that we could have a, a position that's somewhere in between. We don't, we don't have to go to one of the two extremes. And in fact, I think the Bible does give us a position uh, that gives us a specific moral responsibility regarding animals uh, in both directions, actually. For instance, Uh, If you look at Genesis chapter 9, and I don't know that we have to take time to read the passage itself here, but if you look at Genesis chapter 9, after the flood has happened and there's sort of a new order in the world for Noah and his family, one of the things that God says is, not just I've given you the green herb for food, that is, uh, vegetables to eat, which is the case back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden, you know, before, well, before the fall. So we're just eating vegetables, but afterwards in Genesis 9, he says, I have given you everything that lives to be meat for you. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. As the green herb, I have also given you all of these things. Now, he says there's a certain way you should eat it, a certain way you shouldn't eat it. Don't eat it with the blood for all those weird ceremonies they would have gotten out of it. I have some power over animals and so on. We don't want to do any of that weird stuff. But but the fact is, well, look, one of my favorite bumper stickers is one that says, If God had not intended for us to eat animals... Why did he make them out of meat? Now, I can live with that, man. They're made out of meat. We're supposed to eat them. I'm good with that. But but that gets abused into a complete disregard for animal life, as if it makes no difference at all how we treat them. So you can see where the problems go on one side. Now... On the other side, there's Proverbs 12.10, one of my favorite Proverbs. I find it really interesting because of how I had seen people treating animals in the past when I ran across this, across this as a teenager, just reading it in my devotionals. Uh, it really had an impact on what I understood about how God expected us to treat animals because it says, a righteous man regards, has this esteem for the life of his beast, his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked, those are cruel. Now, the idea is that there's some value you that we're supposed to give to the way we treat animals themselves. Now, while that's important to me also, it also gets abused. It gets abused into the kinds of arguments that we've heard being made about the horses that were involved in the race, for instance, at the Kentucky Derby and in horse racing in general. Here's here's what happens. The the PETA people, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which is uh, a misnomer as a title of an organization, but they believe that they're advocating something like the Ethical Treatment of Animals. It's actually not. But anyway, the PETA people, their reaction to all of this is to try to sue the jockey and sue the owners so that uh, the jockey can't uh, race anymore. They hate the fact that he was beating that poor animal with a whip. Boy, I, I just really don't think they get what those jockeys are doing to begin with. But anyway, he's beating that poor animal with a whip. We just really want to punish him for not having stopped the horse before he got to that bad condition. And, you know, if we're wrong about understanding why all this was happening, then we'll find something else to blame that jockey for, and we're going to punish him. Uh, this is a quote from one of the representatives PETA, they said, uh, if he didn't, if he didn't uh, cause the horse to run after he had already injured himself, if he didn't know what was going on, then he says, then we can probably blame the fact that they're, allowing, uh, that they're allowed to whip the horses mercilessly. That is, we're going to blame somebody for injuring this horse one way or another. That's what the PETA people do, because they want to treat animals as if they're persons, which is also a mistake. And let me just give you a couple of quick responses from the trainer of the horse to say that uh, you know, these animals, I mean, the, the, the trainer's job is to keep the horse healthy and strong and vibrant and and not to abuse the horse. And that's why he allowed the horse to be put down and was glad the horse was put down like it was.
5: He hit her a few times, but like any jockey would, uh, she responded well and she finished full of run and, and she just needs to go down When the thought of glory instead of uh, something that that has been abusive, she was doing what she wanted to do.
2: The horses out there just participating and, uh, you know, running. Horses love to run. That's what they do. It's not like out in nature. They're just running for fun. They're running because they don't want to get eaten by a wolf or taken down by a pack of wolves. So here, they're not running from wolves, at least. I just think it's silly to say, you know, these horses are abused because they're running or they're athletic as if uh, professional basketball players are abused because uh, every once in a great while uh, an athlete suffers from a heart trauma or something like that. It's just a silly thing to get involved in. So anyway, he defends the euthanasia because he didn't want his horse to suffer while it was on the track.
5: They did the humane thing. They did what's best for her. I wouldn't have wanted her to suffer. If they waited one minute longer to contact me, would have been one minute that she suffered that there was no need for. Now, here's the thing.
2: He just doesn't want the animal to suffer, and that's a good thing. So here's the point now. Are we supposed to treat animals like they're thinking? that we care about and they have some kind of value that we ought to protect? Or or are we supposed to treat animals with callous disregard like they're just chunks of meat that are walking around to stay fresh until we decide to kill them and eat them? Which way are we supposed to look at it? Well, here's the reality. How we treat animals has nothing to do with their value, but rather with what kind of people we are, what kind of character we have. In fact, it's uh, one of the characteristics of human nature that people become violent against property first. Just objects. They just destroy walls or they uh, you know, are bad about some of the stuff that you see around here in Dallas sometimes too. Graffiti and things like that. They destroy property. They steal property. They abuse property and then they take a step toward abusing animals, abusing things that can't defend themselves, abusing things that don't have the same rights that human beings would have and then they take that last step that really critical step towards abusing other human beings and harming them and of course none of that's good. The confusion though in this process says is that we start assigning human traits to animals in order to justify the concern we have for them. We ought to have a concern for animals, but not because of what's in them. But because we need to be compassionate people, so one of the questions I want to ask you today, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to call in at one 9270 in a few minutes. Now, believe me, the question's going to change in the next segment. It becomes much more serious when we stop talking about animals and start talking about people. But we need to understand this issue about animals first. So, one of the questions I want to ask you is this: Who do you know whose life has been positively impacted by an animal or a pet? Now, it's just an animal. I'm not going to pretend it's a person. But if you You tell somebody whose life was impacted by the presence of an animal. It may be a pet that they kept in their house. Maybe an animal just, just showed up on their doorstep. Whatever it is, if you know someone who's been positively impacted by an animal, call in and share that with us, if you don't mind doing it. And the number again is 1-800-881-9270. Now, odds are we're not going to get to take your call until the next segment, and we're going to also introduce the next topic that fits in with this and works together with this because we need to understand why we hold the values that we do. And, you know, what's going to be important about this is that the kind of person who's positively impacted by the presence of an animal is a person who has something in them. that's of great value. It's not that we're going to learn something about the animal that helped them. What we're going to learn about is what's in that person that makes a difference. Now, here's the the deal we want to talk about. All of this has to do with the kinds of value that we give to other things and what's in us that allows us to assign that value to them. So uh, here's my question again. Who do you know whose life has been positively impacted by some animal or pet that they've been interacting with? Now, uh, if you'll take that into consideration. Start thinking about it. Call us up at 1-800-881-9270. Then I'm also going to mention to you that we're going to take a step from this into talking about how we treat other human beings as well, because believe it or not, those two questions are related. Not, not uh, not exactly like you're thinking probably either because there is a direct relationship you know when people are willing to be cruel to animals they're going to be more inclined to take the step to becoming cruel to other people but there's a bigger step that's also involved and it's going to be related to a lot of the things you've been hearing in the news lately hey you know what today is right uh, today is the 5th of May it is in fact Cinco de Mayo and uh, Cinco de Mayo not tomorrow de Mayo is today and in observing Cinco de Mayo of course we have have this band in Washington D.C. that's celebrating the festival, and everybody's. And what we're reminded of is that we have a lot of cultures that interact with each other in America, and we're proud of that. We're glad for that. But none of those cultures supersede the things we believe are right and wrong, the values that we hold. That's what important. What's important. That's what we'll be talking about when we come back on Jerry Johnson Live. Yeah,
1: This month on KCBI, we look at the family God's way. God's way. We are the Millennium Brady Bunch. And Proverbs says, you are doing a wise, God-pleasing act when you find a good wife or a good husband. God's way.
5: If you do not understand what a holy covenant is... You will never have the marriage God wants for you. For the
3: month of May on KCBI, we'll team together and help you achieve the results you want. God's way. And I think this is a message for our churches that... Yes, we do celebrate life.
1: Teaming with Nancy DeMoss and Revive Our Hearts, this month-long focus will build stronger families. Sign up for the challenge at kcbi.org.
3: I want you to join with hundreds of other women who are on a journey to strengthen their marriages and their relationship with our Heavenly Father.
1: Your input is welcome, too.
3: Here on 90.9 KCBI.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. And you know I'm going to be with you a lot of this week.
2: And what I'm hoping to do uh, is the same thing we're starting to introduce today. And that's not just deal with a topic like you know animals right now. We've got three callers on the line. I'm going to get to in just a moment. But just before I do, let me just clarify our goal because you know we have all these values that we say shape our whole worldview, our Christian worldview. But what I want to do this week is make sure we remember or understand. What the values are, that is, what the base of those values is. It's not just a, a random assortment of right and wrongs that we've constructed so that we can live our lives in a better way. We don't want to just live our lives in a better way. We actually want to embrace the reason God created us and the thing we're supposed to stand for. That's what we're trying to get back to even today. And it's going to take us a couple of steps to get to this one core value that really underline, underlie everything that we're going to be talking about this week. So let me start by uh, inviting our to, uh, to give us some input on the animals they know of who've impacted somebody's life positively. I know Sue is calling in from Richardson. Sue, I, I understand you know somebody whose life has been positively impacted by an animal. Is that true?
6: Yes, sir. I just want to thank you for taking my call. Sure. I don't want to sound really strange, but I belong to several <laughs> nonprofit groups, okay. Kitty Co., Kittens, Inc., Um, feral friends and pals. Good deal. We all uh, find that these stray cats and help them get them fixed, neutered, and released along with other people. And they're not just creatures. They are love. We have a friend that's legally blind, and these cats have just made her life something to love and cherish. Yeah, great. I have... Uh, forty-two cats that are stray animals that I go and feed. I I personally go and feed them. Okay,
2: now let me just clarify this. So <laughs> I understand this from our listeners' perspective and mine also. When you say you have forty-two cats, you mean you have forty-two cats that you leave your house and go feed somewhere?
6: Yes, sir. <laughs> I really do. Sometimes I do get donations from people, but um, wow, I I have been feeding by my you know my own money. But at the time I'm not working and I am getting donations. Yeah, of food. I don't take cash. I just take food. Yeah. And I have fallen in love with them. I feed them. I I sit for sometimes up to three hours. And have tamed them and found them homes. Oh,
2: my goodness. Uh, I know
6: everybody thinks I'm just off the wall. Well, look,
2: look, listen, you don't worship the cats, right?
6: Oh, Lord, no. Okay. And you you don't... They they have a life, too. They're not just some weird inanimate object. Sure, sure. They show love.
2: Sure. Well, they respond to you, and you see in them a response to you that's good. I I love that. (laughs) I I appreciate the fact that you're a loving person. I appreciate the fact that you take care of these cats because they deserve to be taken care of. They're God's creatures. So uh, good for you. Uh, excellent okay. deal. You know, the thing that would concern me is if you know if somebody had uh, cats that they took care of and they disregarded a human relationship that they had in their life. That would concern me. But that's <laughs> but that's the whole issue here that we need to be the kind of people who love and take care of even all of God's small creatures, right? So good for you. I appreciate yeah, that, Sue.
6: women too. Well, we have men <laughs> and women that go and feed these. Yeah.
2: It's really funny that you say that because uh, all of the people who've responded so far to the uh, invitation to talk about animals uh, having a positive impact on their life are are females. But I know, I know it's not just true about females. I know men well, are affected positively. Have, you
6: by know, it. we have married couples that do this, and yeah. you know, we have single men.
2: But we but we wouldn't want to admit that as a man. You know what I'm saying. So uh, it may be true, but we just don't want to admit it. Sue, thank you for an excellent call, oh, and uh, I, so I appreciate your information. Thanks for telling us about that. Cynthia, in Grand Prairie, I also understand you know somebody who's been positively impacted by an animal. Is that right? Uh,
7: yes, sir. Actually, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, my daughter, is she just turned 12 um, yeah. on Friday, on May the 2nd, yeah. and she actually has a schnoodle, a schnauzer mixed with miniature poodle, <laughs> and... Um, that dog was given to her uh, for Christmas okay. one year, and the positive I've seen on her is, is being a a young a young child that she is. That she, it's picked up a responsibility not just for herself, but she also cares about other animals. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I love this. This is very good because what it does is impact the character of your daughter. Uh, it's nothing that, 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 you know, people can say whatever they want about what this snickerdoodle or snoodle or whatever you called yes. it is. Uh-huh. Uh, that's not what's important. What's important is the impact it's having on your daughter's character. And I love that. Actually,
7: I, actually, last summer the dog got really sick. Yeah. Um, we ended up taking it to the vet and it turned out it had internal trauma.
6: Ah, um, wow. I work.
7: I work over 40 hours a week. Uh-huh. I have... Um, not just her, I have two other children that right. are younger than her. And I told her, baby, the best thing for you is going to be to probably put the dog to sleep. Oh, my. Uh, the same as you were saying, is, so it won't suffer. Right, right. Because no matter how much happiness it brought her. So did y'all
2: end up having to do pizza. that?
7: No, actually we didn't. My uh. daughter took full responsibility. She actually would bathe the dog.
4: Okay. She would put
7: uh, peroxide, gave him his meds, and did yeah. everything.
4: Good for and her. And I want to
7: tell you, he had his first litter of puppies uh, last month. Wow, with another female. So um, I actually think that just the whole thing, yeah. responsibility., yeah. yeah. Uh, the caring for the animals.: Fantastic. You
2: know the impact, yeah, yeah the impact it, animal's impact on us is simply to reveal the character that we have or to develop that character. And so I really appreciate your calling in. That was a great call, Cynthia. I appreciate your input. I also understand we have Sherry uh, from Lawton, Oklahoma calling in, and uh, did you also have uh, some kind of a, a tale, or you know someone who's been positively impacted by an animal. Is that right?
4: Yes, again, thank you for taking my call. But this is my own personal story.
2: Okay, good.
4: Um, I am a horse owner. All right. And uh, with working with horses, they do love to run, as you said earlier in your show. Uh Even just being out in a pasture in their own herd, they get to playing together and running. And in order for you to train them to be able to ride, you have to run them in a right. round pen and things like that. And the one thing that I have noticed is that um, if I'm in a bad mood, my horse reacts to that, so oh, yeah. I have to change my mood.
2: Yeah, interesting.
4: And um,
2: Taking her cues said, from you.
4: Yeah, the, the, the same can be said for people. If you're in a bad mood, everyone around you is going to sense that, and they're going to be very standoffish with you. <laughs> you but know, you uh,
2: I've said to people before... And, See, if you don't think this is also true, uh, sometimes it's not so much that they respond to you. It's just that you read your mood onto them. I mean, that's just what you do. When I I wake up and I say everybody's in a bad mood, I realize what that means after about three or four hours of complaining about everybody else's mood. I'm the one that's in a bad mood. Uh, And you're saying you do that with your horse, too. You project onto your horse. Sure.
4: Horses are very sensitive to their environment. Um, their, their nature is to, like you said earlier, run from wolves right. and predatories. Sure. And they observe humans, sure. in most cases, as a predator.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. Please. And they know, they know when you're not in charge, too. I know that. Oh, uh, yes, they do. <laughs> they'll take advantage of that. Uh, so, Just
8: like any child will,
4: yes. So,
2: so you respect the life of your horse. Yes. And, but you don't think your horse is a person, right, a human being or something like that?
4: No, he was merely put on this earth for my enjoyment.
2: Hey, good for you. Well, I, I think that's a beautiful perspective. You respect the life of your animal. You recognize that it's not a human being, and that's really important. Sherry, thank you so much for your call. That was a beautiful call, and I appreciate all your input. Now, we didn't have any men call in, but you guys know this is true. I've had good friends who are in FFA, and they raised a steer solely for the purpose of selling it and having it cut up into beef, and they cried. They cried when they had to hand over their steer to the person who bought it because they knew it was going to go and be killed because they walked it every day and they cared for it every day. So you big, tough, calloused guys, you know you can get attached to an animal, too. That's all right. It doesn't mean you think the animal's a person. It means you have respect for life, and that's a good thing we need to be like that. So here's the deal. A lot of times our arguments as Christians sound just as pragmatic and utilitarian as those of a normal person. What I mean by that is by a normal person, a person who doesn't know Christ. You know, I mean, if we have a Christian worldview, we're not supposed to be normal. So a normal person, you know, they're going to make an argument about something based on whether it brings about the best result, whether it works or not. But not us as Christians. You know, when we explain to somebody why they should or shouldn't uh, have sex outside of marriage, we, do, we don't say, oh, well, look, you might get an STD or she might get pregnant or something bad might happen. Those things may be true, but they're not at the core of it why we believe it's wrong. It has to do with our value of a lifelong covenant, the value of the marriage, the value of family life, the value of the commitment that you make to each other and the kind of intimacy that should be expressed there, and so on. You understand what I'm saying. We don't make a utilitarian argument. Those things follow after we've decided whether something is right or wrong based on what we know about God. Now, there's something that came out today that I'm going to ask you about, and I know you're not going to be able to call in about it and respond to it till after the break, but I'm going to give it to you right now as a question, and then we're going to take this next caller, and that's this. There was a report that came out today. I'm not going to give you the details now, but just after the break, we'll do it. There was a report that came out today uh, about a bunch of doctors, a group of doctors, who made a recommendation regarding the non-treatment of some certain groups of people in the case of a pandemic. You know, we have some flu, avian flu or virus that's attacking the world, and everyone's going to die if we don't treat them. Who are we going to treat? Who are we not going to treat? And they excluded certain groups, you know, those over 85 and those who have uh, uh, some mental disabilities and those who have. Severe wounds like this or that, and might not survive anyway. And, you know, I understand some of the things that they say, but wow, are there some disturbing implications about what they've claimed in this report? And I want to come back and ask you what you think about that. Do we need a list of those who should be allowed to die? In case there's a pandemic, do we even need to think in terms like that right now? A lot of people say we do. I'm not sure we do. Now, listen, Joe, I know you didn't call in about that topic yet. You're still calling in about the animals, I assume. But I appreciate you calling in from Fort Worth, and I want to go back and ask you about that. Do you know somebody whose life has been positively impacted by an animal? What's on your mind, Joe? Uh, Yes,
4: this is Joe from Fort Worth. Yeah, Uh, thanks for calling. I own and help run a pet cremation company. Oh, wow. So I see uh, many, many people who have pets that they're extremely close to. Right. And a lot of times they even treat them similar to the way they would a human being.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh,
4: Although most people, you know, don't go that far with it. Right. But we see a lot of people come through our uh, service that are very, very attached to their animals. And what I think is that when the family unit started breaking down in, uh, let's just say, the 60s,
2: yeah, so that's right.
4: when I observed it. Okay. And now, years and years later, you have people that don't have a lot of ties close.
2: Yeah, they not human ties. Friends.
4: They don't even know their neighbor's name. Right. And they attach to their pet.
2: So they're with associating the pets, themselves.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Unconditional love, always.
2: Sure, yeah. And, and because so it's completely see. dependent and it can't argue back. <laughs> if it well, does, I mean, we have they're absolute authority. Always
4: there for you. So we see lots of people that are yeah. very, very attached
2: to their pets. Let me tell t- you two things I appreciate about you. Number one is that you're caring for people who cared for those animals. And number two is you appreciate the fact that in their own heart they had a concern for that animal. And that's important. Now, we're going to put all this in perspective when we come back after the break. And I want you to call in on that question I had asked a moment ago. Call back in right after the break on Jerry Johnson Live.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer.
2: You know, what we've been talking about so far today is uh, our sympathy for animals. And that's a good characteristic. It's a good trait to have. But that we shouldn't abuse that into a substitution for how we concern uh, ourselves with other human beings. That we shouldn't confuse the fact that we ought to have sympathy for beasts, which it's okay to eat in the Bible for crying out loud. We shouldn't confuse the sympathy that we have with those beasts with the kind of sympathy that we have to have for human beings who have an innate value. And that's the reason I've brought up this next topic of this report from a group of medical doctors who were asked to specify who we should treat and who we should exclude from treatment in the case of a pandemic. Do you remember, and we've got a couple of callers holding on the line that we're going to get to in just a moment, but but just before that, I want to remind you of Do you remember back in 1995, they came out with this movie called Outbreak. Here's the
5: trailer from that
2: movie.
5: I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps
8: the world is in our hands. We cannot... We dare not refuse this burden. And, And in
2: fact, that's probably about as far as we're going to be able to go on that clip, just for the time's sake. But you remember that the gist of the story is there's a virus that's spreading, and it's in this one community, and it's going to spread so fast that in 48 hours the whole nation will be infected, and so we have to make the decision to obliterate that village and destroy them so that we can preserve everyone else. And that kind of a panicked reaction is what we have in our minds when we hear the word pandemic, and so we suddenly start thinking in terms of who are we going to have to sacrifice in order to preserve those that we don't want to die. And so we're going to, as if there are some, that it's okay to die, but there are some that it's not, because we really do regard it that way, that it's okay for some people uh, to have to do without. I mean, after all, you're 85 years old. You've lived your life. I don't don't know why why should we preserve you. Now, this is not just triage we're talking about. We're not just talking about sitting in an environment where you have three machines and you have eight people who need treatment and you can only treat three. And so you make a purely medically based decision to treat those that the medicine is going to help the most. This is not just that, because not only excluded from treatment in this plan are 85-year-olds, for instance, or those with severe trauma who might not survive otherwise, but also those with severe mental impairment. Excuse me, with severe mental impairment? as if that's going to inherently lead to their impending death and that the medical resource would have been wasted preserving their life? Are you kidding me? Talk about an unethical analysis. These people just need to go see the movie Expelled to get an idea of what's going on. Before we get to that now, uh, before we summarize what we're talking about with regard to the value of, the, of other human lives, and by the way, I want to invite you to call in now basically on this question, this, the CDC, and uh, this, that's the Centers for Disease Control, uh, along with the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Health and Human Services. They've all come up with the suggestion of what we ought to do when we have a pandemic, and part of it excludes. Includes the treatment of people that uh, some would not survive, but some who are just less worth preserving than others. Now, that's a despicable, unethical statement. And what I would love to hear from you is whether you think we need to have a list of those who should be allowed to die in case there's a pandemic. And I know if you work in a triage environment, if you work in an emergency room, or if you serve in the military and you've worked in a triage setting, that you're going to understand why they're having to make these kinds of decisions. But saying that you have to make these kinds of decisions medically and then extending the decision to include value-based judgments on whose life is worth preserving, serving is despicable And so I just want to ask your opinion. Does that bother anybody else? Our number is 1-800-881-9270 if you're interested in calling in on that. Now, here's the reason I'm putting these two things together because it is critically important that we have a sympathy for animals, that we have something in us that looks at things that do not have the innate value we have and actually cares about those things. But it's equally important that we not confuse that with the innate value that is in human beings which ought to evoke a sympathy in us as caring beings because of that innate value. It's incredibly important. I'm going to clarify all of this some more as we talk about it, but I want to go back to those of you who know somebody who may have been positively impacted by an animal in their life because of what it reveals about the person who was positively impacted. All right, here we go. Uh, let's see, we got Jessica in Dallas. Uh appreciate your calling in. What do you have to share with us today? Well,
8: um, I have a comment just about the... Sanctity of life, I suppose, not so much on the animals. Yeah, that's great. But um, even though I'm an animal lover and have six dogs, and I'm very happy about it. <laughs> well,
2: you know, the two values can go together if they don't get confused. If they don't Absolutely. get confused, so go right ahead.
8: Um, I did see expelled, and great. I would have to say that um, in regards to this whole um, this whole situation you're speaking on, um, that it kind of reminds me of Nazi Germany.
2: Oh, uh, yeah.
8: Who are we to say? Who should live and who should not live? Yeah. Um, I would also be reminded of the time where um, the people brought the crippled man to Jesus and said, "Whose whose sin was it because of this man
6: for ah.
2: his
8: crippledness?" Yeah, and, it, and Jesus responded, "Neither. Yeah, it's for the glory of God."
2: Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> We are so self-centered. We think the only strength has to be something in us, instead of recognizing that God has strength to demonstrate in our weaknesses. We've okay. we've just you know we we changed our understanding of who we are as human beings by deciding that those who have strength are the only ones that are to be valued. In fact, uh, listen, Jessica, are you still there? I am. I just want to ask you, do you, do you remember the days when uh, we thought it was a courageous and bold thing for the young, strong, healthy, vibrant men to sacrifice their lives by going down with the ship so that the old women and the infirmed and the weak and the defenseless, but also the children whom most of these people would preserve, uh, would be saved. But all these healthy, vibrant, young contributors to the gene pool, they were going down with the ship, and we used to think that was heroic. What on earth, Jessica, if you have an opinion at all, do you think think has changed in our society that's made that a reason instead to turn around and say, no, we've got to preserve the young and the healthy and let the old, the weak, the infirm, we need to let them die. What has changed? Do you have any idea?
8: I believe that it has a lot to do with um, the fact that we've taken prayer out of school. <laughs> And that our society in general has just gone down the tube when it comes
2: to Jesus. Yeah, let me just say, I know that, I know that we refer to this a lot, uh, taking prayer out of public schools. That was a fine answer, Jessica, because, not because, you know, stopping praying in school actually changed our value system, but because when we excluded the possibility of talking about values in terms of God from the public marketplace, including taking God out of a context in which we could speak about him in public schools, then that change in values also marked what we should have seen Coming in the change in values we're seeing and about judgments just like this, and they happen all of the time. Uh, we have one more caller, and I, I want—I I guess we need to go to her right now. Iris uh, in Rockwell, I appreciate your calling. What did you want to share with us today?
9: Um, I wanted to share two incidences about animals making a difference. Sure, in that'd be great. Lives. And um, one is um, my daughter's father-in-law. Uh, my daughter had a dog, a small little animal, and um, she had a lot of difficulties at birth, and she lost most of the puppies, and it cost my daughter right. a lot of money that she couldn't afford. But right. one of the puppies she gave to her father-in-law, who is um, very homebound, right. um, has a lot of disabilities, right. and is not can't, can barely walk and can't get around. More. Right. Well, this little animal has given him a reason to live, and it literally um, uh, stays by her, his side. All the time, and yeah, yeah. Was giving joy back into his life.
2: Now, I want to hear what your other story is. So, let me just interrupt you for a moment and say that's a perfect story to talk about. What I'm trying to get at. I know some people would say, "Oh, well, that's just sad that the only thing he has to live for is an animal." No, that's not true. It's yeah. not that the only thing he has to live for is an animal. It's that he has characteristics of value and concern and sympathy and compassion and relatability that get to come out of him that were being, you know, stilted before yeah, because he it's, was so limited yeah. in what he could do. This is a beautiful thing. So, uh, so I'm really happy but, to hear that. Well, What's the other story you were going to tell us The
9: other story is about what what value animals have. We have a a little girl in our church that has such severe diabetes. uh, She's only three or four years old, and um, she was having seizures uh, so uncontrollably. Her parents, she was constantly in the emergency room, and um, they spent several thousand dollars uh that literally our church helped raise to fund her to get trained an a, a a little dog a little shawty, that is so sensitive she can tell when she's um at the the sugar levels of that- her her, um, of this little child, and because yeah. of it, this child can lead a somewhat, and her parents and her sibling can lead a somewhat normal life. To you that's a miracle of God? Yeah,
2: really interesting, Iris, and thanks for bringing that up. The reason that's interesting to me is for a different reason because the value that's in this little weak being that we would consider completely unimportant for any other reason is something that's sort of hidden in it. And that's true about people, too. There are a lot of people that we would consider weak and discardable who, in reality, have a great value because God has put them in this world. One of those values is inherent in it. I want you to think about something. We have a couple of callers on the line. I'm hoping they can hold through the next break because I really want to get their input on the things that we're talking about right now. But first, I want to give you this reminder of something that happens in the movie Expelled. What happens is, uh, I believe it's Alistair McGrath who's the voice in this part of the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry about it. Just get this little input about what it is that motivates us to discount human life so quickly. Here's a clip from Expelled.
1: First of all, if you take seriously that evolution has to do with, you know, the transition of life forms and that life and death are just natural processes, then one gets to be liberal about abortion and euthanasia. All of those kinds of ideas uh, seem to me follow very naturally from a Darwinian perspective, a deprivileging of human beings, basically. Uh, And I think that people who want to endorse uh, Darwinism have to sort of take this kind of viewpoint very seriously.
3: Physicians who are
0: aware of the history of twentieth century American medicine harbor some um, uh, some bad feelings towards Darwinists because of eugenics, uh, and uh, eugenics, which was a An attempt to breed human beings. It was. I wish we could listen
2: to everything that this guy is saying because it's right on the mark. Uh, I would make one exception though. Darwinian evolution doesn't produce this ideology of uh, weeding out those who are genetically deficient or weak or eugenics. Whether you're talking about breeding people or just eugenics in in the in the idea of weeding people out of the population, it doesn't come from Darwinian evolution. In fact, as far back as reading Plato's Republic, you realize that without any Darwinian evolution whatsoever. We have always had a tendency to find those who are weak and then come up, concoct some justification for eliminating them from existence, and that's not acceptable. Listen, if we make the judgment now that there are some lives that are worth less than other lives, we'll be creating opportunities in the future to limit what resources of ours those less-worth lives have. Can use, and that's a terrible place for us to be as human beings. We want to maintain the value of every human being. Call us in just a few minutes on Jerry Johnson Live. Thanks for listening. Keep listening.
1: This month on KCBI, we look at the family God's way. God's way. We are the Millennium Brady Body. And Proverbs says. You are doing a wise, God-pleasing act when you find a good wife or a good husband. God's way.
5: If you do not understand what a holy covenant is, you will never have the marriage God wants for you. For the
3: month of May on KCBI, we'll team together and help you achieve the results you want. And I think this is a message for our churches that, yes, we do celebrate life.
1: Teaming with Nancy DeMoss and Revive Our Hearts, this month-long focus will build stronger families. Sign up for the challenge at kcbi.org.
3: I want you to join with hundreds of other women who are on a journey to strengthen their marriages and their relationship with our Heavenly Father.
1: Your input is welcome, too,
3: here on 90.9 KCBI.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well,
2: we've been talking about our sympathy for animals and our willingness to violate our sympathy for many human beings. Now, I neither want to reduce the amount of sympathy that we have for animals uh, any more than I want to tolerate this willingness to reduce our sympathy for human beings. I I want us to be compassionate people, but I want us to remember that the, that the reason for compassion can be different in different circumstances. The reason for it with animals is because of what's in us. The reason for it with people people is because of what's in them and because of how God wants us to regard every other human being. In fact, that's the core of Christian values. When you think about how you summarize Jesus' values, it starts with an understanding that everything I want to say about others, I have to be willing to say about myself and vice versa. That's the golden rule. It continues with what James calls the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. That is, love the other, the person that's not you, that may not be like, you. They might be. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is, as yourself, that's not in any way a statement to love yourself. You love yourself plenty. The commission is to love your neighbor as you already love yourself. And if we were to adopt that position, our concern for every human being, becomes paranoid because they're a human being, not because of what we think they can do for us. We have a a couple of callers waiting on the line. Uh, In fact, one dealing with each of the topics that we've been trying to use to hone our understanding of this core Christian value. And Sue, I appreciate your calling from Gainesville. I know you've been holding for a while, so thanks for your patience. What do you have for us tonight?
7: Well, I have kind of a different perspective on the animal issue. Uh, I'm 60 years old. My dad Uh, Did his own butchering. Yeah. Uh, He was adamant that you never, never caused an animal to suffer. Yeah. You never killed an animal for sport, that you only killed to eat. Good. And I just, I grew up with that well balanced idea that uh, you treat animals humanely, they were put here for food, and if you killed them for food. You did that in a humane way.
2: That's exactly right. And you know, listen, both of those, Sue, in my opinion, are really important lessons for us to learn. That's why our treatment of animals is different than our treatment of persons. What we learn from treating animals uh, as sometimes food product, which they are according to the commission of Genesis 9, what we learn from doing that is that they're not human beings. They are not persons. We can do with them what we cannot do with human beings. And in drawing that line, we're also making clear what's inside the circle of what we always have to care from. So you got to learn both lessons that I wish everybody would learn. Number one, that you need to be a caring and compassionate person. And number two, that your responsibility towards human beings is unique. Would you agree that you learned both of those lessons?
7: Yes,
2: sir. sir. That's a perfect call. That's exactly the point that I'm trying to make tonight. Sue, thank you so much for calling in. And Ryan, I also understand uh, from Saxy you're calling in, and uh, you had some input for us tonight. Thanks for calling, and thanks also for holding for so long.
5: Thank you, Dr. Kramer. I just wanted to say on the eugenics debate, Yeah. Uh, you know, when you watch movies like uh, Expelled and you think about evolution and, and right. it's, uh, survival of the fittest, you know, it really shouldn't surprise us at all that uh, our culture is allowing... Right. Uh, our medical community to, to make these kind of studies and make these kind of statements. And right. I, I just really think the danger here, uh, you know, it, it, it's just obvious, but the danger, the agnostic community wants us to think that, that the evolutionary discussion is purely scientific, it's right. purely science, there's no moral value attached to it. But right, right here we just see so clearly that there's, there's a distinct, multiple debate that's going to rise out of the science.
2: That's exactly right. Ryan, I want you to hang on the line for a second because I want to ask you a question in a minute uh, about a slightly different topic, but it's related, and I want to get your input on it. So uh, here's the deal. We need to understand. I think one of the most important things for us to understand is that it's not true that if you're a Darwinian evolutionist, you must believe that eugenics is a good idea. And that's true. Although it does sort of fit together with it. You know, it it fits hand in glove. But it is true. That human nature is always trying to find an excuse for killing all the other people that we don't like, and for getting rid of those who are using our resources. And so, you know, if you adopt any worldview that allows that, it's a dangerous position to be in. Now, Ryan, suppose uh, are you are, are you married, Ryan? Yes, I am. Okay, do you have kids already?
5: no I have I have a cat
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay that doesn't count uh, that's
4: right but I, uh, that's for, that is for sure but it's good
2: if you if you can keep the cat alive then you should think about having a kid that's just a <laughs> just a, a word of advice from me anyway uh, let's suppose that you go to a physician and you want to have a child using artificial reproductive technologies and just uh, just imagine that this is the case so you go and you're going to have using in vitro fertilization even though uh, there there are some problems with that uh, but we'll talk about that another day sure. but in this case you go and they say uh, to you which this happened a year and a half ago at Baylor uh, Medical Center. They actually made this sex selection study. Uh, they used this, uh, some people who were going to use artificial reproductive technologies to do a sex selection study, which meant they were going to find out what the psychological impact would be on people if they were able to select the gender of their child that they were going to have. If you could go and you could say to your doctor, we'd like to have a boy, would you make it so that the boy is the one that's implanted uh, in my wife so that we can have a child? Uh, would you be willing to select, not just know ahead of time, but select the sex or the gender, I mean, of your child?
5: You know, I don't think so. I I, I think that that is, that is plain God. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can take that argument so many places. Some people will take it so far on the on the hands-off approach that they right. will refuse medicine because right. that's playing God. But when it comes right. to the actual that's creation a of life, and I would also, of course, beg the question that what happens if they find out it is a girl? Does that mean that you're going to destroy that? Exactly. Now,
2: see, now see, that's the issue, especially with artificial reproductive technologies. Ryan, thanks so much uh, for yes. your feedback on right. that. This was, this was a great call. Thank you. Listen, uh... Here's the problem with doing that study. It's not just that you're saying, hey, I want a boy or I want a girl. Everybody says that. I want a boy. I want a girl. You know, I hope she looks like you, whatever. All of that's fine, but that's completely different from saying about some embryo that already exists, I am not going to accept you because you are a female. I am not going to accept you because you are a male, and you see how that leads to this eugenic approach we are going to accept the ones that are ideal and reject the ones that are not we just cannot go down that path in any way whatsoever listen if we're willing to discount human life in any way whatsoever like for instance uh if the reason we're willing to discount human life is that it will more effectively prolong biological life of the human species what on earth are we thinking we will end up destroying the weak and discounting everything that's not contributing to the benefit of the race, but we don't exist to prolong a biological race. God made us for a reason to begin with. We are his workmanship. I understand the context of this is about salvation. He's the one who brings about our salvation and accomplishes it, but an implication of it is our nature as a being is what God intended for us to be. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Every human life has a great value. And in fact, it's in those lives that are the weakest and the most defenseless, when we act to care for those lives, that our humanity is both realized and therefore preserved. If we don't care for the weakest and the most defenseless, then we have given up our respect for the value that makes human beings so significant. That is, that they carry the image of God, their creator. He has a purpose for your life, too. Hey, thanks for listening to Jerry Johnson Live, and I'll be back with you tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show.